How are you, Jesse? I'm doing well. Good. Um, what did I say I should ask you here? <laughs> Tell us a little bit about yourself. A little bit. That's very open-ended. So, Jesse Golan. I'm 22 years old. I'm in my third year of Bible college. I grew up in Ukraine. Um, my dad is Aussie. My mum is Canadian-American. That's why I sound so messed up. Uh, let's see. I love Jesus. That's, that's an important thing about me. Um, I mean, you'd expect it, given that I'm standing on a stage in a church. But <laughs> Okay. So, what's your go-to comfort food? My go-to comfort food. Growing up, we would come back to Australia <laughs> and visit um, about every four or five years. So, I grew up in Ukraine. And, and, and there was this amazing food that we called custard. And when we were in Australia, I would eat as much custard as I could and then I'd go back to Ukraine and starve for like four or five years. Um, and so now, whenever I go to the supermarket, uh, I, I make sure to walk past the aisle with the custard in it, the, I think, Paul's custard. And every time I look at it and I go, well, you're in Australia. It's only like three bucks. Yeah, do it. <laughs> so every time I go to the shops, I buy custard. <laughs> and lastly, what excites you about the gospel? What excites me about the gospel? I think the thing that excites me about the gospel the most is the fact um, that it will all be okay. Like, life... Like, there's a lot to enjoy about life, but a lot goes wrong. And, and the, 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 the good news of the gospel is no matter what I do to, to offend God and, and no matter what um, other people do to mess up my life and what I do to mess up my own life, and just no matter how hard life is, it will all be okay because I'm going to spend eternity in paradise with, with God who loves me more than I can like, comprehend. Like, that is just so precious to me. Okay, Jesse, so we'll hand the floor to you. He'll be preaching on First Peter 2. Um, and do you want me to pray? Or you, no, I'll pray. You pray? Yeah, that's great. All that's right. all right. Thank you. Turn my notes around. I might do is put this on a chair. Right here. So, um, let's pray before we begin. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for the gift of your word. And I ask that you would speak through me. Please help me to explain the Bible in a way that is both clear and engaging. I ask that I might not get in the way of your Holy Spirit and that he might be at work here this morning. Please help the passage that we will look at, not just to give us more head knowledge about you and about the Bible, but please use it to change the way we live our lives. Amen. So several people have told me, and it is true, 
that I'm basically like a walking advertisement for Hungry Jacks. Right? The, 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 the fast food store, it's ridiculous. Like a couple of years ago, Hungry Jacks came out with this awesome app. Um, truly, it is awesome. It's called Shake and Win. Whenever you're within a K of Hungry Jacks, you open your app and you shake your phone and you're guaranteed to win a prize. Guaranteed. Normally, it's like a discounted burger or like a free Slurpee. But I have, it, it is true, I have won a whole meal more than once. <laughs> um, like, their advertising campaign was so good that they actually converted me, just a random Joe, into being their ambassador. <laughs> and, like, did you know, for example, Hungry Jacks will add any three extras to a burger for free? Apparently, like, 40% of their burgers, they do this. <laughs> if you don't know, you're, you're missing out. Um, <laughs> Isn't it, isn't it absolutely ridiculous that it's possible to get excited about a fast food chain? And, and Hungry Jacks isn't even one of the better fast food chains. Like, if you have a scale of fast food chains, Hungry Jacks is, is pretty close to the bottom. Um, but, like, it is absolutely ridiculous. But we, as Christians, have something far far greater than Hungry Jacks that is undeniably worth promoting. Like You can deny that it's worth promoting Hungry Jacks, like I may, may argue with you, but that you, you cannot argue that as Christians, what we have is not worth promoting. We Christians are called in the Bible to be walking advertisements for God. And people should be able to see that we are followers of Jesus by what we say and what we do. And this morning, we're going to focus on what that looks like in the real world, one aspect of it anyway, um, by unpacking 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 to 25. To properly understand this passage, though, it's important that we understand what, what the wider situation is. So scholars are in agreement that the letter was written during the time that Nero was the emperor of the Roman Empire. This is the same Nero that announced that Christians were enemies of the state. He rounded them up to be crucified, tortured, fed to lions, and, and, and worse, actually. Um, and history tells us that during his reign, thousands and thousands of Christians were killed, including Peter, like First Peter, right? Including Peter. Who wrote this letter? And the theme of the letter is about how Christians should behave when we are treated wrongly, when we're persecuted. And which means that our passage for this morning is just a unit of thought within a larger argument that Paul, that Peter, is making. And and Peter was qualified to talk about it. Right? This is the guy that got killed by Nero, unjustly, just for being a Christian. So verse 12 of chapter 2 is really key for understanding the entire book. So before we, we delve into 18 to 25, I'd love to read verse 12. Please read it with me. Um, it says, Live such 
good lives among the pagans, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Peter really believes that actions speak louder than words. And he's saying that the life of a genuine Christian should be so different from that of a non-Christian person that the contrast between the two is obvious. You cannot miss it. And in the passage that we're focusing on, Peter provides us with a twofold response to the question of how Christians can be effective ambassadors for God, especially in the face of unfair treatment. So, um, I'm going to read the first couple verses. Um, Starting in verse 18, it says, Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those that are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they're conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. Those are really heavy words. Um, Peter is basically saying that as Christians, we need to give up our right to be treated fairly and justly for the sake of showing Jesus to others. It is so easy. It is to be kind and big-hearted when other people are kind to you. It takes no effort at all. But the point is that as Christians, we're to be big-hearted when others are not kind to us. Nothing is more contrary to our human nature than not standing up for yourself when you are wronged. But God calls us to be walking advertisements for Him. And a big part of how we do that is by responding with love to those who treat us wrongly. Now, just in case anyone is thinking to to themselves, oh, this doesn't apply to me because I'm not a servant or a slave, um, or uh, which is which is specifically what he's talking about. Um, please turn with me to First Peter chapter three. Verse 9. So just basically turn the page. Um, In the same letter, talking to the same people. So it does. It, 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 it actually applies to all of us, both in workplace situation um, and, and elsewhere. So what does this mean, though, in practical terms? 
What does it mean to live a life where you show respect and kindness and even love to, to others even when they treat you unkindly and unfairly? Like one obvious application is family life. Like I grew up with three younger sisters um, whom I do love. But I, I also know firsthand how easy it is to treat family members just the way they deserve. You ate my chocolates, you stole them. When they wrong you. And I'm not married. But from all that I've heard, it's not hard to say, he'll pay for that later. Or she'll pay for that. It's like simply put, Christ wants us to treat our family members with kindness and forgiveness, even when they wrong us. Especially when they wrong us. And it doesn't matter what their response to us is. We're called to turn the cheek. And another obvious way to apply this, probably the most obvious, is in a workplace situation. Often bosses and co-workers can behave in, should we say, frustrating ways. And we're faced with the choice of how to behave towards them. Right? Their behaviour towards us is a constant, but we, we're able to control our response. Um, Jesus calls us to show them um, respect and to repay their unkindness with kindness, even when they don't deserve it. That's what he's saying in this passage. And for some crazy reason, like this, this blows my mind, it is so easy to get offended by our brothers and sisters in our church. Like, I figure that Satan hates the church, so he does everything he can to make it ugly by causing strife and divisions. Anyway, we must do everything in our power to treat our brothers and sisters lovingly when they wrong us. And they will. Because they're not perfect. Like, we're not perfect either, but they will wrong us. Basically, Jesus wants us to be so kind, so forgiving, so loving, in all of our interactions with other people, that they cannot help but see us as ambassadors for him. They can't, like, there'll be a disconnect in their brain. They go, why, why is this person treating me this way? Everyone else in the whole world would, would swear at me and, or whatever. But the, 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 the real question, the deep question is, how can we live like this? Like what gives us the power, to, the willpower to obey God even when it goes against everything that our sinful minds want and everything that the world out there tells us? This, this is close to my heart. Like, I've been wronged by people, right? And not just in the distant past. I've been wronged recently and hurt deeply. Um, how can we do it? What gives us the strength? Well, in verse 19, Peter gives us a clue as to how Christians can bear up under unjust suffering. He says, in verse 19, 
It is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. The reason, one of the reasons, why Christians can live this way is because we see God as being real and present with us in every situation. When we remember that God is with us at all times, it actually does, it actually does become a lot easier to resist the temptation to strike back when we are mistreated. Like, as a matter of fact, it becomes a joy to live in a way that pleases him. And young couples provide an excellent illustration of this truth. When two people are just falling in love, they're hyper aware of what the other person is thinking of them. And generally, when they're in the presence of their significant other, they do their absolute best to be the best person they can be. They become kind and generous and willing to become the bigger person in any disputes with that person or with anyone else. And that is just earthly love between two humans. It is because of this dynamic, the same dynamic, that Christians find the strength to be wronged without retaliating. In light of the fact that we live in the constant presence of Christ, who showed his love for us by giving up his life for us, it does become easier to treat those who wrong us with love and with kindness. Not easy, but easier. The second half of the answer to the question, how, how can we do that, is found in the second half of our passage. So, starting from verse 21, Peter continues, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. God is not asking us to do anything that he was not willing to do. As a matter of fact, there is an exactly 0% chance that any of us will be more unfairly treated than Jesus. He was the perfect man, sinless and blameless, and yet he was mocked and spat upon, whipped and killed in the most humiliating and degrading method available to his enemies. And when they hurled their insults at him, right, while he's hanging there naked on the cross, He didn't retaliate. He, the son of the most powerful being in the universe, did not make any threats when they whipped him or when they nailed his hands to that cross. We read in 
places like Matthew 26, 53, that he could easily have stopped the injustice. Like Jesus said, do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal 12 legions of angels? As the son of the most high God, he was perfectly capable of flipping the situation and killing his tormentors. And yet he chose not to. In verse 23, it says what he did instead. So in verse 23, instead of retaliating, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. That is to say, he handed the entire sorry situation over to God to resolve justly in his own time rather than choosing to take revenge himself. And he was able to. As a matter of fact, when he was on the cross, Jesus prayed for his enemies, saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Jesus trusted that God would resolve the matter fairly and justly. So he laid it at his feet rather than taking justice into his own hands. What's more, as verse 24 says, he took our sins upon himself so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. Jesus died on the cross so that we could be free from living lives that are trapped in endless cycles of unfulfilling sin. Christ died so that we can move past that and embrace a new and radically different life. A blameless life. A life where we can trust the shepherd of our souls to look after us. Put in other words, Christ died so that we can forgive others when they wrong us. It's not the only reason he died, but it is one of them. He died so that when we are slandered, or when we are verbally abused, or when some other horrible injustice is done to us, we can leave it in his hands to right the wrong. He died so that our lives would be different from the lives of the rest of the world so as to bring glory to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you so much for providing a way for us to leave behind our old and sinful lives and embrace you. I pray that when we are tempted to take justice into our own hands, that you would remind us of our true identity as ambassadors for you and of the fact that you promise to judge every thought and every word and every deed in due course. Please give us the wisdom and the, and the strength 
to know how to act towards others who mistreat us, whomever they might be. In Jesus' name, amen.